Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, I, <laughs> I had a lot of people ask if I was nervous this morning, and uh, I, I'd be lying if I said that wasn't true. But I'm actually just really excited to be able to be able to teach here at Calvary Chapel Cardiff, just because so much of my life has been shaped here at this church. Growing up under my dad's teaching, and also Pastor Steve years ago, and uh, all the other men that have come through the pulpit here. That's always This has always been a very special place, and so uh, it's, it's very surreal for me to be here and to be on the other end of things as uh, the instrument today. Uh, but to, to kind of get your, your train of thought moving, where we're going to be going today, I, I first want to start by saying uh, people are complicated, okay? I think we can all agree that with that people are complicated. And what, what I mean is that there's a lot of things in life we can quantify, right? Like we can know like, oh, this for sure. We can kind of just cut through and say, oh, yes or no, this or that. But people don't really work that way, do we, right? The, we're, we're very complicated, right? So in cr- Christian doctrine, you can really just say, oh, yes, this is this, this is this. But with the human heart, you can't really just peer into somebody's soul and say, oh, I know exactly what's going on here, right? There are so many different factors. And the way the Bible describes people, you know, it oftentimes refers to us having a heart, right? And an inner man, as it were. And so uh, the heart is is a very flexible word. A lot of time it's used to refer to uh, like our, our emotions, right? That's kind of how we would mostly use it nowadays is the heart is our emotions. But also roped in with that in scripture, you have the mind and you have the will. And really that word refers to the entire inner person, right? And so, you know, we have this, people are complicated because God ultimately made us with these very dynamic hearts, all right? Very dynamic hearts. And what I mean is that our hearts are always changing, right? They're always responding to things, this or that, right? So it's it's hard to peer into somebody's soul. Um, but I will tell you, we are not left alone in that struggle of trying to understand people. Um, rather, we have been given God's word to cut through with that. So, you know, Proverbs 25 kind of attests to this complicated idea of, you know, human beings and our hearts. It says, counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You know, so it's, so there you've, with understanding, we can draw it out, but um, that we can't do that by ourselves. You know, rather uh, God gave us his word. You know, you have Hebrews 4.12, which says the word of God is living and active. It's like a two-edged sword and it pierces the divisions of soul and spirit and the thoughts and intentions of the heart. All right. So we are given God's word for that. And you, know, you guys probably wonder, okay, why are we on this thought train? Well, this is just to kind of set us up for what, where we're going today. You see, God gave us a huge section in your Bible that a lot of the time doesn't get touched, all right? It doesn't get touched that often, and that is the book of the Psalms, okay? Here is why God gave us the Psalms. The Psalms were given because they express the full range of human emotion, right? You you read one Psalm and you are on the, the mountaintop in God's presence, praising him, all the joy is felt, and then... In the next psalm, you are down in the dumps, you are isolated, and you are in uh, despair, and God is distant. It's, it's a complete range, and as you go through 150 psalms, you really have every emotion and everything touched there. And it's, it's a very fascinating collection of songs, and God gave that to us to help us discern this complicated issue of the human heart, right? Which is not so easily discernible, right? We have God's word, and the Psalms are there for us to discern the, the heart, but not only that, kind of retarget our emotions. It helps us understand them and then retarget them to where they are supposed to be 
before God and how we respond to God. So that's why I want that set up. We are going to be going to a particular psalm today, and that's going to be Psalm 30. Um, so with this section, um, so Psalm 30 is, is kind of a fascinating one. So a lot of people, they like to classify the psalms by genre. You know how I said, well, one psalm, you're very happy, and then another one, you're very sad. You know, So you have your happy psalms, you have your sad psalms, you got your Thanksgiving psalms. You, know, you can go down the list. Psalm 30 is a little weird. I'm just letting you know now. It's not really uh, happy psalm, sad psalm. It's it's kind of you toss a bunch of those in a blender, press the button, and then you get Psalm 30. It's a it's a real real exciting thing. Um, but all that to say, um, this this psalm um, is going to be actually kind of telling a story in the lines of it. All right, it's going to be kind of a mystery unraveling. So as we go line by line, you're going to be seeing there's a little more going on under the hood there. All right, and this is. Uh, written by David. We're going to see that right at the beginning here, but uh, it'll it'll kind of take us through uh, this uh, event that happened in David's life. We're going to see the emotions he went through with that and how he retargeted them and how he um, how his relationship with God ultimately grew. And it's it was written, he shared his experience so that you can read it today and go, oh, I know what that's like, or share that with your own experience. So before that, though, I would like to pray before we uh, dive into the Word here. So let's all bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, God, your your Word is, is so great, and we're so grateful that you have given it to us to be able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, Lord, I pray for everyone here today that as we read this, Lord, that as we, we see um, uh, how uh, fascinating and beautiful it is to have a relationship with you, Lord, that uh, everyone would examine their own hearts and their own relationship with you, and uh, Lord, that they would be able to uh, grow closer with you as a result. And uh, Lord, I, I pray for uh, myself as well, Lord, that you would give me your wisdom, that you would illuminate the word for me to understand it and exposit it as you want it to be intended, God. Uh, so Lord, I pray for all these things this morning in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. So uh, in the first line of Psalm 30, if you're there in your Bible, you can kind of see there's usually a little line at the top. And I'm not talking about like there's usually an italics one that gives a quick title or something like that. It's actually underneath that usually, uh, and it'll have a bit of a title. So I'm, I'm, I have the New King James right here, and that little title says, A Psalm, A Song at the Dedication of the House of David. I don't know if you guys, hopefully you guys can see that there. Well, that little line is actually a part of the original Hebrew. It's a part of the original manuscripts, which means it's inspired. All right? It's actually a, a, meant to be in your Bible from the beginning. The little italic titles that you'll find all throughout the whole Bible, that was usually added later by your publisher, this or that. But that little line there, a psalm at the dedication of the house of David, that was from the original. God wants you to see that, okay? So I want to start here, and this is just going to tell us what kind of psalm we're in for. Well, it says a dedication at the house of David. That house of David title, uh, if, you, if you narrow it down, it's actually more referring to a temple dedication kind of thing. So um, I'm going to not give you a whole temple history here, but just a brief little summary uh, David was the greatest king of Israel, all right? Like, and as the uh, New Testament talks about him and other future passages, they always look like, hey, David was as good as they get, you know? And David was not perfect. Hopefully, we all know that here. But uh, he was an amazing king. What David's dream was was to build the temple, right? God's dwelling place in the Old Testament where he lived with Israel. And David never actually got to do that. You know, David sinned later in his life, and God said, no, that honor is going to your son. 
However, as David would write songs like these, like his psalms, he would dedicate them to the temple that he was never going to see. So I find that really fascinating. So these songs were actually sung at the dedication of the temple when it was built. Okay, so it was, David wrote this in mind for that event. Okay, and I, I want us to keep that in mind. That's she, it's a bit of a, you know, overarching, okay, why did he write this? What is that for? Keep that in your, in your back pocket, as it were. Um, well, that being said, I don't know how many of you guys take notes, but uh, I kind of organized this story, as it were, this event in David's life in, like, little, uh, like, sections, you know, kind of story parts, okay? And so there's a little bit of a theme there, so if you like to take notes, you know, this will help you follow along. But the, I'm going to read the first three verses, and this is called The Destination, okay? Verses 1 through 3, I'm calling The Destination, and here's why David is going to skip to the ending of the psalm. He's going to, it's going to be like the end of the story, and then he's going to go back and kind of explain up to it, okay? And I'll, I'll show you what I mean by that, but verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up, and you have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. All right, so here is why this is a skip to the ending. David has been saved from some kind of life-threatening event, right? So we know he's been saved. We just don't know what the life-threatening event is, right? So that is why we're starting. So that's, the, that's why I'm calling this the destination. This is the end of the story. But verse 1, he says, I will extol you, Lord, for you have lifted me up. That word extol, well, it's another way of saying I will lift you up. So David's saying, hey, okay, you have lifted me up, God, which means I'm going to lift you up, all right? So David has been David has been saved from something. He was down here. He's here now. And his natural response is, I want to glorify God, right? So we don't know what happened, why he was down here, but he is glorifying God for that event. And we'll talk more. That's going to be kind of a big theme throughout the psalm here. Um, but verse 2, he says, O Lord, my, I, I cried out to you, and you healed me, right? So you have drawn me up, was the first verse. You have healed me, is the second. And then verse three, you can see, oh Lord, you brought up my soul from the grave, you know? So you drew, have drawn me up, you have healed me, you brought up my soul from the grave. You see, it's these very intentional, so, well, uh, Psalms are songs. You can kind of see that. These are sort of parallel lines kind of going. They're all saying the same thing where it's, okay, I was down here, I was wounded, I was at death's door. He's really just trying to show how bad his condition was to show how good he is now. And we don't know the depths of how bad that condition was, but we know, okay, so this was this was not a light event, right? This wasn't like he stubbed his toe or something like that. He he was at death's door. He says, I was I was down in uh, Sheol is the word. That's the Old Testament word that just kind of refers to death as a whole. Um, this is before, you know, you had more revelation about heaven or hell. It was, I, I was, I was at the I was at death is what he was saying here. So he's really trying to show you the gravity of this event, but we don't know what it is yet. So we just know the destination is, okay, he was in big trouble and he was saved. So I want to read the next few verses because this is going to give us the next big clue in uh, our story here, all right? So verses four to five, I'm going to call the discipline, okay? So next part, the discipline. So verse four, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor 
is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So, verse 4, at the beginning there, he says, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks to the remembrance of his holy name. What David is saying right here is that uh, it's not enough for just him to praise God for this event. What he's saying is, okay, whatever I was saved from, this thing is good enough that you guys need to look at this event and praise him too. That's what's going on here. This is a big thing where he says, I'm, I'm not just trying to, you know, this is not just a me and God thing. You guys need to praise God too. Look at my salvation. That is, so he's, he's brawling that out. He's reaching to other people. He's inviting them into this group praise as it were. And then verse five, we kind of learn what's actually going on here. He mentions something fascinating. He says, verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment. His anger is for a moment. So David was in trouble. We knew that. But God was angry with him for that. So this is, this is starting to reveal a little more. It seems like David might have brought this on himself. It, it's, this is something else. God was angry at David and he went through this event because of something he did. That's what we're starting to learn here. And notice in the rest of verse 5, there's a lot of contrasting parallels. You're going to see there's anger and then favor, moment, lifetime, right? all these opposite things, weeping, and then joy, night, and morning. Verse 5, it's all over the place, right? Very intentional psalm style. We're, we're, we're comparing, contrasting. Well, the reason that's the case is he is trying to show you what it is to be disciplined by God. So this, this psalm, you know, like I said, it's a blender of genres. It was really happy a second ago. Now he just entered in a new little thing into the blender, and that is, oh, David was disciplined. He did something wrong, and God disciplined him. And that's kind of a fascinating concept just in general. So what, what happened? What did, what did David do? We still have some more questions there. Uh, to answer, but I, I hope you can just see with those those parallels there, the anger, favor, moment, lifetime, you know, all these different contrasting, he is really showing that discipline leads to a good thing, okay? So he's not saying discipline is like, oh no, discipline is awful. Stay away, guys. He's actually putting it in kind of a good light, you know? Growing up, when my dad disciplined me, that was never really seen as a good thing in the moment. Now, now looking back, I see it, but uh, at the moment, I was like, there is nothing good about this. <laughs> David is, he's, he's painting this in a good light. He says, hey, the, the anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime, right? It's this this discipline leads to a much greater thing, right? It's it's he's comparing and contrasting the two, and he's trying to show us that discipline is painful under God's anger, but it's only for a moment. It's painful, but it's only for a moment. But the result is joy under God's favor for a lifetime. All right. So I don't know about you. That sounds like a pretty fair exchange. I'd, I'd probably take that. Um, but this is also notice this is not anger or favor. It is anger and favor. Okay, this is not like oh you get one and you lose the other. It is both. It, God's anger leads to this favor in verse five there. So to kind of unpack this more, we need to understand. Okay, what is what does that mean to be disciplined by God? Right? Okay, we that's kind of a a vague concept to. To toss out there, you know, it's not like God is just like, oh, you're 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 grounded, you know, appears to me in a cloud and tells me that, I'm like, oh, okay, no, it's, it's it looks a little different than that, does it? Doesn't it? So, uh, here's where I want us to turn uh, for a second. Hebrews twelve um, five through eleven. I believe that really 
uh, paints the the best picture of discipline in the whole Bible um, is Hebrews 12. And here, this is uh, the unknown author who is going to be talking. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but um, it's, we're kind of, I'm tossing it to the middle of a sermon here, but this is a very fascinating thing. Uh, the author is going to tell us a little bit about this idea of being disciplined by God. So uh, if you've turned there, I'm going to start reading in verse uh Five and he's he's talking to people and he says or to the um, uh, Jews scattered and he says this and you have not forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons my son do not despise the chastening of the Lord do not be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves he chastens and scourges every son who son whom he receives if you endure chastening God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best of them, but he for our profit, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So that word chastening, that's well, discipline, you know. It's a, I'm reading the New King James Version. I'm a little new to that. I use the ESV, which uses discipline, but that is the author is describing what it is to be disciplined by God. And notice the whole passage is trying to tell you this thing. Hey, that is a good thing if you are disciplined. You know what that means? If you are disciplined by God, then that means you're his son. <laughs> we got to start there where if you're not disciplined by God, you are not his son. So general, that discipline is a good confirmation. So here's what you can also take from that is that if you are his son, you will be disciplined. If you are his son, you will be disciplined. Or daughter, I should. Son or daughter, you will be disciplined. That is a natural part of your faith from the moment of salvation onwards. And that's why this psalm that we're going through, I find, is very applicable. Because at some point in your life, I'm sure many of you, if not all, have, if you're saved, have gone through this process of discipline before. But you are going to be disciplined by God for the rest of your life until you are glorified in heaven. It is a very natural part of your walk with God. And it's a hard thing, right? It is painful for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It is a good thing. It is a good thing. It's, that's how the, the, he kind of concludes that section. He says, it says, Now no discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, it, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It, it results in very good things. It is used to refine you. If you are disciplined, you are God's child. So let us first understand that discipline is a good thing, and it is something that he does to his children only. And therefore, when you guys come under discipline, please remember that is okay. <laughs> so let us start with that hope there. Let's start with that idea where, okay, this is a good thing. And I can say this as, uh, even though I'm, I know I'm a young believer and I've, I haven't had a lot of years 
added onto my life yet, but I've experienced a lot of discipline by God's hand. And that looks very different from situation to situation. God is our sovereign father. You know, he, he gives things and he takes things away. And we'll, we'll, we'll see what David's discipline looked like. He's going to tell us a little more about what it looks like for him. I'll share with you an experience of what it looked like for me. But that is a natural part. I have been disciplined time and time again. I know I'm going to be disciplined time and time again into the future. <laughs> and that's a, uh, we have to start there where that is normal and it's okay and it's a good thing. So uh, turn with me back to uh, Psalm 30. Uh, I know we were in Hebrews last, so head back to our, um, our, our mothership passage, as it were. But um, from there, I, I kind of want to continue with um, what David reveals next. But. Um, uh, you know, other other passages of Scripture, it's all throughout the Old and New Testament, do talk about discipline as well. Um, you read, uh, you know, uh, Job and the way he deals with it. It wasn't necessarily discipline. Job didn't do anything wrong, but he he was willing to consider. Oh, he said, well, though God slay me, he says, though this is tough, this is painful in the moment, I will still trust in him as my Savior. That is the the posture we should have in this. So, Next, verses 6 to 7. So I guess to review my little like uh, organization of how we've gone through this real quick, uh, we had uh, the destination, we had um, uh, the discipline. That's why this part two is called the discipline. Now, verses 6 through 7 is called the detriment, the detriment. And this is where we finally find out what David did. What did he do that brought this discipline upon himself? Now that that's, we finally get our little plot twist, our, our mystery reveal here, as it were. So take a look at Psalm 30 and verse 6. Now, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. So, verse 6, we kind of learn about David's situation. It says, now in my prosperity, all right, prosperity, in that life was going pretty good for David. And uh, if you read First uh, and Second Samuel and you read First uh, Chronicles, you can see he was a pretty rich guy, very, very rich. The only person that was richer, actually, of all the kings was his son, Solomon. And so David had it all, right? He had the nice house, he had the swimming pool, you know, had, and God blessed him with good things. And it is not wrong to have good things, okay? It doesn't say that here, didn't say that for David. It wasn't wrong that he had those, and God gave those things to him. In fact, David says that here in the psalm, and David always knew that. He always knew God gave him the things he got, right? It says that after this. He says, but, oh, Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. A mountain being, you know, city of David. That was his beautiful palace. He built up all his amazing things. It says, God, it was by your favor what you gave me that led to that. However, he got that right, but he got something else wrong. And that was right there in verse 6. I shall never be moved. I shall never be moved. Let me tell you, that is not something anyone should ever say in a post-flood world. <laughs> we should never say, I shall never be moved. And here is what happened. David knew that God gave him these great things. He knew that, oh, the palace, the money, his, his wives, everything he loved in life, he knew that came from God. Yet he still trusted in those things more than God. Do you see 
how there's a difference. A lot of the time, I kind of, when I get good things or I'm very blessed, I kind of think I can just, you know, be like, oh, I just, as long as I know that that came from God, I'm good, right? And I can just enjoy it and trust in it all I want. Like, oh, yes, thank you, God, that I got all this money, you know? No, it, it, it can't stop there, all right? You, it's easy for us to understand that all good things come from God, right? The Bible teaches the only thing we really deserve is hell. Actually, it's the only real right we have. So anything else we get is grace, unmerited favor, so that's what David's saying here. He says, by your favor, I received these things, yet, he said, I shall never be moved. Like, it's pretty comfy up here on the mountain, right? Like, I, I made it, right? Like, I, I got it all. And how often do we tend to work towards such a goal in our own life? Think about that. The things we, we, we work at jobs so we can get more money to build more comfort, right? To make the mountain stand a little stronger, to make it a little more secure, to get that comfier bed, the nicer TV, things like that. Um, and, it, you know, it doesn't always look like that. Just working for money and trying to build a nice, you know, dwelling place. It can, you can put your comfort in, honestly, anything other than God. You can put it in another person. You can put it in a relationship that, ah, I finally got the the, fi- the right person, right? I have this perfect relationship. I shall never be moved, you know? You can say that about anything. You can say like, oh, finally, I got, you know, the nice job I want. I shall never be moved. You know, you, we, we can always work to some goal that we think once we get that, we will never be moved. And let's look at David's example that that is never the case. Nothing you will ever receive on this earth will get you to that place of never being moved. And that is what David had to learn the hard way. And that's why he wrote this psalm down for you. So that you, when you learn the hard way and you go through the discipline, you can look at this and you can see it and you can know, oh, this is how I should deal with this. That is why it helps you discern your messy heart as, it, as you sort through such a thing. So as you see, he, has, he says, I shall never be moved. And look at the end there. He says, Lord, by your favor, you made my my mountain stand strong. And then he says, you hid your face. You hid your face. And he says, and I was troubled. That that translation of the word troubled, I actually really don't like that, I'll be honest. The real word in Hebrew is horrified. It means like I I just, like to his bones, he was sick. He was just frightened, like white face, ashen, just terribly terrified. So that, that's every time in the other time in the Old Testament, it's like when Joseph's brothers found out that he was Joseph. That's what the same word is. Is that well, they were terrified. They're just, you know, blood drained and they're just, oh my gosh, this is, it's always used for horror. That is what David experienced the moment he sinned. Notice that it was just a brief, I, oh, for a moment he trusted in the world and then immediately God hit his face. God hit his face and he felt it. He felt it. And I can say for believers, many of us will be familiar with that experience of the immediate guilt, the immediate shame that comes after sin, you know, and a lot of time when we're, when I, you know, when I was, I was trying to think, when I was first reading this Psalm and I was trying to understand, oh, what did David do? You know, kind of going through his mystery. I thought, oh, is that the Bathsheba one? You know, well, no, this was, he just trusted in the things of the world. And that was, that was as grievous as a sin that it made God turn his face away. And let me also clarify what that means when God turns his face away. That is not David losing his salvation. That is not a permanent cutoff, never see me again. But there is this thing uh, throughout the New Testament, Old Testament, called the grieving of the Spirit. It's found uh, all throughout Ephesians 4.30 uh, talks about it, where when believers sin, we grieve God. 
we grieve God. It's, it's, sin is never something to be taken lightly, before or after salvation. It is always sin. And when David sinned, he grieved God. God turned his face away, and David immediately felt that. He felt his relationship hindered from his sin. That is what's going on here in the passage. And, you know, in the, it, when I was kind of like doing a little bit of language study and stuff like that, you know, you, you, you can see it says, you hid your face and I was troubled. The and is actually taken away from there. David tries to make it very abrupt. You hid your face, I was dismayed. Yeah. It was like a synonymous event. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, took me a bit of time and then, no, it was whoop, cut off. It was tragic. And that is what David felt there. That is, that is guilt over sin. That is the grieving of a believer. Right there. So David had his mingled good, right? You know, he, he still attributed his, his good to God. Like, oh, thank you, God, for these things. Now I shall never be moved, right? He attributed that, but it was mingled good. And that little bit of sin was enough to ruin any good. <laughs> that was, he grieved God in that. And so our big middle twist, the detriment of David, was that he, he trusted in the good things that God had given him. More than God himself. And uh, I guess to kind of share a little bit how I encountered this psalm and how um, God has used it in my life, I, this is very similar to my own testimony. You know, I, I grew up in California, so many of you, you, you witnessed this over the years it took place that have been here from years before. But growing up in California, as I was there, I kind of might have been thinking about that a little bit, that like, wow, California's great. I shall never be moved. And I was only 12, right? And I was like, I'm a pastor's kid. My dad has a good job. I love my friends, this or that. I shall never be moved. And then when I was 13, big surprise, my family moved to Wales and uh, definitely got moved, as it were. Yeah, moved across the world. Um, And, you know, that's, it's, there were, it's not like we were in huge suffering or anything, but there were difficulties to that for me. There were difficulties. It definitely shook things up. And the things I put my trust in, you know, like David putting his trust in his mountain, me putting my trust in my friends, my home church, whatever it was, that got moved. That got moved. And that was enough to shake me up. And I didn't have the best response for quite a few years. <laughs> and many of here witnessed that. They witnessed my discontentment. They witnessed my bitterness. They witnessed so many other things. Um, and it took me several years to have the right response uh, to God. And here, you know, you're going to see David's response. You know, he, he made that decision quite a bit sooner than I did. You know, it took me a few years. But in the same way, I was, I was moved like that. That was God's discipline on me. That's what discipline looks like. It's God's sovereignty working in your life. It's him taking things away. He, everything comes from him. If he gives things to you, he can also take that away. And we have to understand that. That is the best reminder to keep ourselves in the right perspective on the things we receive, to keep ourselves from trusting in them. So I trusted in my sweet home in California, and God Move that away. And, you know, he, I'm so grateful for that. Looking back, the joy in the morning was way worth it, more than worth it. But at the time, that was a little bit of a painful process. And so, you know, here we're also, it's Christmas time. We're all getting a lot of uh, gifts and things that, and, you know, many of us are, we're probably blessed this holiday season. So this is, a, I think, a very applicable message to kind of keep ourselves in check as we have been blessed. So I spent a lot of time on verses 6 through 7, the detriment, but I I find that kind of the big plot twist here, so I wanted to do that justice. So verses 8 through 10, what happened to David after, right? Because we know it turned out okay for him. We know it turned out okay, but what what happened in between to make it okay? Well, let's take a look at uh, verse 8. 
uh, right here. So this is going to be the deliverance. Uh, so you want, you're following my little outline, the deliverance. So verse 8, I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood? When I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. So here is an amazing prayer that really should reflect the posture we should have before God after such a sin. And it is a prayer of humility. I'll say throughout all the Psalms, if there's a general worldview that's reflected, I would say there's three things you can see in all the Psalms. And that is, number one, a high view of God. Just an amazing high view of God that he is incredible, right? He's the creator of all things. His salvation is great. But in order to have a high view of God, you must also have a low view of man. That is the other thing you'll see through all the Psalms. And right here in this prayer, you can see David has now finally had a low view of David. That is how we should pray. A high view of God and a low view of ourselves. And so as David is praying that, he says, I cry out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. He's saying he sort of makes an appeal to God, but he does so very humbly, very lowly, very submissive to God. You know, he His life was shaken up and he realizes how small and fragile he is, where he's like, oh, I can be moved. <laughs> I am, I don't have all this perfect security. And that is the case for all of us. We will never find perfect security on this earth. We will all die one day or another. And that has, that is given as a reminder for us to rely on the Lord. So he's talking about death. Notice he starts to make an appeal to God. I find it really fascinating. He says, what profit is there in my blood? So he, the way he responds to God, this is actually a, a good response. He starts to try to make a deal with God. He kind of says, okay, God, I know I don't deserve your grace, but he says, let me, let me just appeal here. If you save me, I, I will bless you. It is, I, my life can l- exist as a testament for you. He says, what profit is there in my blood? Like if I disappear, I disappear. Like, yes, you're, you're, you are righteous in that. You're an avenger, but I, I become nothing. You know, he says, David is offering his life. He says, when I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? You know, he can't praise him from hell. He says, will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. This is the appropriate response to understand that David's issue came from his own sin. David's problem, his inner turmoil came from his own sin. And so much of the time, we have a tendency to not really understand that. We tend to say like, oh, I must have a health issue, right? I have something else. And I'm not disregarding health issues or anything like that, but we try to attribute our sin issues to other things of the world. Uh, I like to compare him. There's another king later mentioned in 2 Chronicles 16, and that is King uh, Asa. And King Asa, generally on the scales, one of the better ones, you know, he's not one of the really bad ones like Manasseh or others. But uh, King Asa, in the end of his life, kind of messed up. He sinned against God, kind of like David here, trusted in uh, his, like, the enemy nations, things like that. And it says King Asa got sick. He got um, plagued for that. And it says for the rest of his life, this is very tragic, King Asa kept turning to the physicians, kept turning to the doctors, kept turning to, you know, the council, the other people of his kingdom, and never to God. Never to God. And 
that is what I did when I first moved to Wales. I turned to everything else except God to find that peace, to find that contentment. I was turning to other things. That is how we deal with our sin, with our guilt. We try to fix it with the world, to turn to other things. You will never be cured of that until you go directly to the Father. That is what's going on here. David had to learn that. And so this is the, the right response of David. He's, he felt that, you know, it says he was troubled, like horrified. The, the cure was to go to God, to appeal to the Father. And that's what he does. He does. And he says, will the dust praise you? He, he, uh, he appeals to him. He says, save me to fulfill my purpose, right? David and every human on this planet is created for one goal, and that's to be an image bearer to glorify God, right? That's why you are made. That's why David was made. That's why I am made. We are all made to glorify God in one way or another. So when David is appealing here, that is a very okay appeal because he says, this is why you created me in the first place. Lord, save me that I may fulfill that purpose. Save me that I may praise you. And David's praise is going to have much more depth after such a salvation, after such a discipline. So save me for the sake of your glory is really his great prayer there. And this posture is the kind of posture, the kind of prayer you should pray to God when you come to these points in your life, when you come to that part where you are disciplined. Because like I said, it will happen. <laughs> it's, it's probably happened before. It's going to happen again. Remember that humble prayer, that appeal to God to, to go straight to him for any issue and be humble and to confess your sin. And, you know, David, he makes that little bit of a deal here. Prayers can look very different from person to person, but he pours out his heart before God, and that's what God wants from you. He wants that, but at the end of the day, as much as we have our emotions that go different directions, let us all retarget them back to that center, and that's the glory of God. That is how they should always be targeted there. So that's what those, that prayer reflects. Remember, it should have a low view of you and a high view of God. And so lastly, that brings us to verses 11 through 12, the display, the display. And now uh, we got back to the beginning of the psalm. I remember how I said it started at the ending. Well, the, the last two verses are going to very much parallel the first uh, three, or I guess like, yeah, last two will parallel the beginning. It very much matches up in a very similar way. And you can see here, verse uh, uh, 11 you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So he kind of repeats his supplication at the beginning. You know, he says, you know, you were, you've turned for me my mourning to dancing. Remember we had our, our low, I was down here, you raised me up to here. He says, I was, I was crying, now I am dancing, right? That, that despair that was felt in the discipline is now, it is joy. It is, it is complete dancing. He has turned it around completely. And what an amazing hope for us when we go through such a discipline, right? You might be there uh, for a while. And so looking at a psalm like this, it, it's such a great reminder where, you know, the morning is coming, and morning with an O, not an O-U. Um, but it's a, the, 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 the dawn, the, the joy, the dancing is, is coming there. And that is what, he, what David is praising here. He says, you turn that into dancing. And, you know, he kind of, he's telling others of his story. If you remember that, he says it wasn't just enough for him to just praise God alone. He's telling others of it and says, guys, look at how God saved me. Look at my salvation and praise him too, because that is how worthy this God is. 
and you can see what an amazing God that he had such mercy and salvation on David, which as much as we look at that and he trusts in the things of the world, that's a very grievous sin before God. And with this perfect bookend, David is intentionally reminding you of the beginning, right? He's trying to draw your eyes back there and remember, oh, this is how we started. We went down into the pits and now we're back up here. You know, verse 11, you've put off my sackcloth. That's the, the, the essentially, you know, the, the cloth they would put on for mourning that has been taken off. The, the, the tears are done. <laughs> the tears are done. That is the hope of salvation is that you're not in the pit forever and that he's clothed me with gladness. And, you know, at the end, I love this phrase, verse 12. He says, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. That mountain, those things that God gave David, right? That he said, oh, I shall never be moved. That was never given so that David could have comfort in them. It was never given for that reason. It was, it is David's glory. Other people will look at them and be like, wow, look at what David has. But he says, I have been given such things. This is my glory that it may sing praise to you. It says, this glory is given to me that it may glorify you more. That is the purpose of all the good things you guys have been given. Everything is grace. And the grace you've been given, every good thing, every um, every gift, every paycheck, every uh, relationship, person, anything you've been given exists for that greater purpose of showing how good of a father God is, that he gives you those things. And we have to keep our hearts in check with that because it's so easy to trust in those things instead of God. It is so easy. And you know, if you are a child of God, uh, be grateful that discipline exists, <laughs> that God does does come and he does remind us where our minds and our hearts should be at. And, you know, at the end of this, we can see, you know, every gift you've given is given for that greater purpose. Just remember it was given for his glory, not yours. It was given for his glory, not yours. You're a low view of man, a high view of God. So, our big twist in this psalm was the, the danger of prosperity, as it were, the danger of comfort. It was That was what it is, is that we get good things and it's not wrong to have good things. It's not wrong to prosper on this earth. Let me, let me encourage you guys with that. If you have been given good things, that's okay. Just remember who gave them to you and remember that he can take them away. And if he does so, that is a good thing. It is the discipline of the Lord and that's not a discipline of, of distance. It's a discipline of love. It is a discipline of love. God disciplines his children because he loves them. And nothing, no discipline, no hard thing of this earth, nothing he takes away will separate you from that love. You know, I, I'd like to read, uh, just as we close here, Romans 8, uh, 38 to 39. It's a very um, famous passage. And I, th- I think this is what was on David's mind where after he appealed to God, after that, God's faithfulness and his love is so much greater than any of the discipline you go through in your life, any of the things you lose, you're given, you're take away. This is your rock, which you can rest on is Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has given you 
everything you need in Christ alone and Christ Jesus. That is what you need. And anything else God takes or gives away, that is okay. That is okay. So with that, I'd like to close us in prayer real quick. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, God, uh, what an honor to be able to study your word, to um, grow close with you, Lord, to keep our hearts in check, Lord, to sort through the complicated mess that we are as people. But Lord, your word is sure. And you've given us the Psalms, this beautiful book to uh, cut through that, Lord, to see what's really going on in our hearts, Lord. Uh, I pray for everyone here that as they receive prosperity, as they receive good things in life, that they would remember those come from you. And they are given not for their own glory, but for yours, God. And so I just pray that that would be on our minds, but ultimately everyone would walk away seeing how good of a God you are that gives such things to his children, but lovingly disciplines them to uh, keep their eyes on him. So Lord, I lift these things up to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen.